This morning we continue in a series in the book of Romans, and uh, this morning it is finding unity when we disagree. Last Sunday we began in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14, living free. We've been set free in Romans 1 through 11, and then we continue chapter by chapter, and now we find ourselves in chapter 14, and uh, now it's a section called living free. How, Having been set free, how are we to live free, freed up from those things the world uh, traps us in? And we began last Sunday in the area of questionable things, things that are marginal, we're not sure whether they're true or false, whether they're right or they're wrong, and sometimes we have disagreement in areas that we cannot find agreement in. And Romans 14 is that chapter where he's talking about the basic problem is this. In those days, they would go to the meat market to buy meat, and often in those days, the meat might have been given or as an act of worship given to an idol. And so there were some new believers that said, I cannot eat meat that has been given to an idol uh, because if I eat that meat, it's like I'm participating in idolatry. And my conscience would feel guilty if I should do that. And so, therefore, they would not eat that meat. And there were other believers who said, you know, meat's just meat. Idols are just stone. Uh, there is no idol that is other... Uh, there is no other God, I should say, than the true one Lord God that we have. And so therefore, I don't see this meat as being tainted in any way, so I can eat that meat. And Paul says, you have to be careful because you may eat that meat and you may stumble or offend a weaker brother who sees that as a wrong behavior. And so in those days, they had those areas of conflict. And so some of them became vegetarians. They wouldn't eat anything but vegetables. So they wouldn't eat the meat that might have been offered to an idol. And so that was the problem. Now, fast forward to today. One of the things that uh, we're always concerned about that I know I'm always concerned about is I want to be as relevant as I possibly can. So I'm always thinking through, what is the biblical way? What is the biblical way to dress and present yourself, say, on a Sunday morning like this? Because times have changed. Haven't they times have changed? When I first came to Calvary Church, I had two suits, dark and darker. And uh, so every week I would just kind of alternate from dark to darker and then back to dark again. And so that was sort of the, the, the form and the style. And so I'm trying to be relevant. So here is me and today's economy of dress. And so I, I want to be biblical. I want to wear biblical clothing. I want to be wearing clothing that is well accepted by everyone. And then there is this style that we might consider. That would be biblical, right? There's nothing unbiblical about that. Uh, although there is nothing particularly biblical. So it's either biblical or unbiblical, or it's, or it's just not, it's abiblical. It's abiblical. But look, look nice. Looks like I'm ready to do somebody's wedding. Uh, but that's that. And then the third style is this what I'm thinking about going through. <laughs> so this is, this is the new me. That's why I have long sleeves on. I just uh, went over to Sid's tattoo over here on 17th Street. Got all tatted up this week. And, uh, so I wasn't really ready to unveil my arms, but I'm trying to decide, you know, which, which is more biblical than the other? Is it the middle, the suit, or the sleeveless, tatted-up arms? Which, which is the biblical one? Should, should we vote? How many, how many think I should come dressed as a suit? Okay, thank you. Uh, how many think I should just dress like I am dressed this morning? All right. And then how many think that I should uh, rip off the sleeves and come all tatted up? All right. Okay. 
I think it's a close tie, so I feel like I'm sort of, I could go any way and I'll be okay. But uh, what Paul was talking about in Romans 14 is this. Let's say I did come as the tatted Dave with a sleeveless shirt. How many of you would, you'd probably be offended, right? There's probably going to be some people that say, I can't, I can't listen to you anymore. I could barely listen to you before, but now I can't listen to you at all. I mean, there, there might be there. Uh, and so there, there is an image that is projected. And yet, when you think about it, this is the area that Paul is talking about. He's not talking about things that are clearly biblical or unbiblical. Those are settled issues for many of us. The Bible says don't do this. Okay. The Bible says do do that. Gotcha. I may not do it perfectly, but I want to do that. But then when it comes to areas that the Scripture doesn't even address, the Scripture doesn't talk about whether I'm supposed to wear a suit, an open-collar shirt, sleeveless tattooed arms, shorts, flip-flops, used to call them thongs. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Scripture is not addressing others. So Scripture is saying, Dave, I'm, I'm allowing you to use wisdom as to what you think would be the most appropriate way without offending or distracting from what God has called you to do. And so that's the area we're talking about, where there is no biblical guideline, but there's freedom, but freedom guarded and guided by wisdom as to how it impacts other people. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. And what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 14 is the same thing. He says in Romans chapter 14, I invite you to have your Bibles in hand. In fact, there's an outline uh, that I, I uh, provide for you free of charge uh, each week as you come and share together in this experience. In Romans chapter 14, verse 1, Paul begins by explaining the issue. He says in 14.1, as we saw last week, Now accept the one who is weak in faith. That's the concern of the man who might bring and eat meat that's been offered to idol and his conscience being weak is defiled or injured or he feels guilty. He says, don't be careful about those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Opinions. That's what he's talking about. And so there is much in our Christian lives, there is much in our marriages that is all about opinions. And opinions can be driving us crazy. So an opinion is the Greek word dialogismo, and dia means through logismo, reasoning through reasoning. Just through my own reasoning, I've come up with this idea. There is so much that we are driven by that is simply my mind coming up with something that I'm convinced on, I'm committed to it, I'm convicted on it. It is important to me, and if it's important to me, then it ought to be important to everybody else. And if it's not important to you, then there's something wrong with you. Even though there is no biblical guideline whatsoever in respect to that issue. Here's the way I put it on a chart. I've used this over the years many times. And uh, there are certain issues that are foundational. The foundational issues were in actually Romans chapter 13. If you go way back up from before 14, Paul deals with commands. He says in uh, verse 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. If there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this. You should love the, your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Those are foundational things. Those are commands. God says, this is the way I want you to live your life. 
Be holy. Be separate. Don't do as the rest of the world does. So there are foundational things. In life, there are supplemental things. There are those things that I need to consider. I need to weigh out. They may not be very clear. They may be uh, that I can read uh, one side or the other side, but it seems like it's a biblically nice thing to do. And then there are incidental things that you compromise on. Let me just illustrate. Let's just take marriage, for example. Joy has been my wife. She'll be a... She'll have, uh, fortunately, been my wife uh, for uh, 40 years coming up here in a couple of weeks. We've got two more weeks. If we can make it that far, we're going we're gonna to have 40 years anniversary. And so being married for 40 years, you get to know people pretty well, right? Thank you. There's a sound delay. I know it gets to your ears and you have to wait. And... and Foundational to marriage, the Bible has clearly told me, Dave, that I am to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And how did Christ love the church? Christ loved the church sacrificially. There was nothing that Christ was unwilling to do to love me, to love us as the church. He died on the cross. And so that's sacrificial. That's foundational to be loving, to be forgiving to be gracious, to be merciful. Those are foundational things. Those are the things that drive marriages. Now, supplemental things. So how, how does some of that get fleshed out? There, there is nothing in Scripture that says that, Dave, therefore you should not have your underwear and socks laying on the floor as they are right now next to my side of the bed because it's like another foot to the hamper to put the clothes in. So I just put it here even though I could go one more foot, it just feels like a long ways to go. So I just drop it right here. Supplemental to that would be, well, you go ahead and you put it in, in there. Supplemental to that was, you know, the, the, the dishwasher um, has been run the night before and the next morning you get there and you're looking for something and uh, a spoon and a, and a bowl for my cereal. And so I open it up and realize it's all clean in there. Well, I only need one bowl, but supplemental to that would be well, why don't I just go ahead and empty the whole dishwasher? <laughs> oh. I hate to empty the dishwasher, especially the silverware. You can't, where's a spoon? Where's a, oh, there's another knife here. It just drives me crazy. But that would be supplemental kind of stuff, stuff that is nice to do. Wash the car. Does the Bible say I should wash Joy's car? No. Does the Bible say Joy should wash her own car? Why should I have to wash her car? No. But do I? Absolutely. I love to wash your car because I'm just a wonderful guy. And so for 40 years, those are supplemental things that are manifestations of love. But often it's the incidentals that can kind of get... Actually, supplementals can do the same thing, but incidental thing. For example, we have uh, in our backyard, we've been eating out a lot in our patio uh, and then got the grass area and then I would sit looking out and there's this big rose it's it's really a rose bush and it has grown up and it is just a mammoth thing of rose petals and leaves and thorns and I think it's just oh, I get so irritated with that rose plant so every so often over the years see, over the years I would get my hedge trimmer out there and I would just give it a flat top I think I was so tired of those thorns sticking me when I walked by it. It was so irritating to me. Then finally, Joy enlightened me. He says, you know what? 
I don't like for you to flat top that thing because I like it the, the rows to kind of grow over and that allows the flowers to grow. You cut it off, there's no flowers that are there. I love that sort of that droopy look and I go, oh, I, I didn't know that. I thought it was my job just to kind of whack it back because every time it gets too long, it's irritating to me. And so this last week, she's out there clipping it and I'm clipping it and, and I still got scars on my hands from trying to cut that thing back because it's pulling the trellis off the wall. We just met our brand new neighbor behind us. Uh, and uh, I said, I'm sorry for the mess there. Oh, I like the way it looks, he says. <laughs> and so we're trying to clean it up. And so where I got really sort of irritated in my own heart towards joy this last two weeks is, why do we even have this plant? Why does anybody plant plants with thorns on them? There are, and I told Joy this, and I told Jessica, our daughter, who's also planting, don't plant anything with thorns. There's too many other plants that are available without thorns. Why would anybody plant plants with thorns? You've got to be insane to do that. And she said, well, there's no way to have rose bushes unless you have a rose bush with thorns. And I said, curse Adam and Eve, because that's when those thorns, that's when those thorns came out. And, and so you get into this little thing in your mind over, and I think, well, wait a second. Now, what does the Bible say about rose bushes and thorns? Where, is there a commandment, thou shalt not plant rose bushes? Or It's just nothing there. And yet it's the incidentals that begin to irritate where the foundational settled. But it's the incidental rose bushes, or the supplemental of empty the dishwasher when you have an opportunity, wash the car, whatever those little chory kind of things that you do in your marriage, those are the areas that weigh us down because the foundational things are settled. And so don't let the incidentals become a point of disagreement because they are so insignificant and meaningless. No one's going to get up at our funeral someday and say, Dave did a great job of cutting back that rose bush. But what you want people to say is that Dave did a good job of loving his family. Those are the things that count and last for eternity. So how do you measure with the area of, it may be an area of schism, foundational, supplemental, or incidental? How do you measure what is what? I measure what is foundational or supplemental or incidental by how much eternal impact it can have. How much eternal impact it can have. Foundational things are clearly God's Word and they will have an eternal impact from God's Word for eternity. Supplemental things have a little less impact. They might be more significant for this lifetime, but they may not last beyond this lifetime. And incidental things have no eternal impact whatsoever. They just don't matter in the scope of eternity. And it's the wise person that can distinguish between the three. And those are the areas that we work on. So Paul is talking about incidental things, maybe supplemental things, and the opinions that they have. And when we find disagreements over our opinions, we respond in this way. Again, picking up from last week, we admit that we all have areas of, of freedom in his opinions. We admit that. We need to admit that. And so Paul says this, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. 
And I put it, my three pictures up there. The one who wears a suit is not to hold in contempt the one who does not wear a suit. Or the one who has tattooed arms is not to hold in contempt the one who does not have tattooed arms. Or vice versa. And when there comes to areas of freedom that we have, we admit that we've got freedom there, even though we may see it differently. That's okay. Because they're incidental. They're opinions. They're not God's mind. And then secondly... We examine our motivation to make sure that our use of freedom is uh, really not for my selfish needs, but for the Lord. And this is where sometimes it gets a little bit grapey. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. For therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. If I showed up with tattooed arms and a sleeveless shirt, probably I would be doing it for my own aggrandizement. Not because I think I've got freedom and so therefore I have this value system that says tattooed arms are a wonderful thing for me. For those who have them and that's their thing, that's okay. But if I did it, my motivation would be all about I want to attract attention to me. I want you to look at me and say, wow, what a cool guy. If I had a piercing on my, on my eyebrow and a piercing, a whole bunch of piercings on my ears and my lip, I'd be doing it to draw attention to myself. God says, make sure that when you use your freedom, it's your personal conviction for the glory of God. And if it isn't living for the Lord, dying for the Lord in that, then man, you, re- you better rethink your priorities. And so the motivation has to be for the Lord because I want to honor Him with that. I need to be faithful in my freedom since we'll all be held accountable. God is watching us. God is looking at my motive. God is seeing, why are you dressing the way you dress? Why are you living the way you live? Why are you not doing that but doing this? Those chores, those incidentals, those areas of your life in your, in your community, in your office building, in, in your school. Why are you doing what you do? And I'm watching. Because your, your motive is simply to be self-serving, have, a, have someone who's drawing attention to yourself in a way that is purely selfish. And says, God says, I, I'm, I'm tracking with you on that. And God says, that's, that's not how I want you to live. That's why he says, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. I need to make sure that my motives are so pure. First Corinthians chapter 4, God reminds us, I will examine your motives. Because we, we will fail in a lot of ways. We'll have, we'll have m- big-time mistakes. But if the motive was pure and honoring to the Lord, God says, okay, I, I'm good with that. But when the motive is simply self-serving, then God says, I'm not good with that at all. Because we are imperfect people and we will fail. And so when we disagree, when we disagree with a believer, here are two things to keep in mind that you can see on the outline that is there. In Romans 14, 13, and 14, let me read those verses. In 14, 13, and 14, we read this. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Opinion areas, incidental areas, they're, un- they're, they're clean. They're not unclean. It doesn't matter, he says. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So you've got to be clear in your conscience that you're doing the right thing for the right reason. So therefore, I do not judge because of their opinion. Don't judge other people who live their lives differently than us in areas of opinion. It is the downfall 
of the local church that we sometimes have a reputation of loving to judge people in areas that, frankly, the Bible is totally unclear and unsettled on. We need to be so guarded against that. I remember having grown up in the Phoenix area, as I said earlier, at Bethany Bible Church, where my dad was the pastor. And uh, Bethany was doing pretty well in those days and had a uh, fairly good reputation in the uh, city. And that was back in the days, and some of you, I look around this room, would know and remember when we had hippies. Remember the old hippies? <laughs> um, we had a lot of hippies at Westmont College. I don't know if Troy was a hippie. Were you a hippie in Westmont? No. Oh, good, because I would rethink your position here if you were. <laughs> but, um, no, we, we had hippies, and that was the big deal. And back in those days, boy, to have a guitar on the platform, oh, boy. Oh boy, you would have thought that we had denied the deity of Jesus. So it was that climate, and we had a, on Sunday morning service, the service is already underway, and the worship is going on. We got the hymnal open, and Benny Rhodes is leading the hymnal, and he's, he's doing the, you know, the, the crossing of uh, the leadership. And uh, as then people sit down on the front row, of course, nobody sits on the front row except, well, I'm glad you're there. You're not nobody's and my wife. But there was empty seats on the front row, and then like a march, there must have been a a dozen hippies. I call them hippies because they look like hippies. They came marching right down the middle of that aisle and sat down right in the front row. And we knew what that was all about. It was a statement. We're coming here to test you. Are you going to accept us? Are you going to judge us? Are you going to reject us? And so they had the uh, I mean, back in those days, again, tie and coat, hair slicked down. Man, it was dressed like you're going to somebody's wedding. Even today, you don't hardly dress like in a wedding. But really dressed up. And so they're coming in on the jeans and the long straggly hair and a sloppy look. And they marched up in that front row. And they were just waiting for someone to come and judge the life out of them. And I say, praise God that after the service is over, People went over there and welcomed them. So glad to have you here. And they were blown away by the fact that they weren't judged. But they were expecting judgment. And I don't want people coming to a church like ours expecting judgment. Because we're not the judge. We don't judge anything. We have no rule. We have no authority to judge anybody, even in sinful things, even in foundational things. We're not to play the judge. We're not the judge. God alone judges. We come alongside and encourage faithfulness, but we never are called the judge. So God says, therefore, don't judge anyone on these things. If you find differences of opinion, okay, let it go. It's incidental. And then secondly, do not offend a believer in the use of your freedom. And uh, he says, but rather determine this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. Let me draw your attention to three columns that I wrote up this last week that I think that it helps me to think about this. So I do these things as close as I can to what God would have me to do, but I don't always do it perfectly, you know. I'll be the first to admit that I'll mess up on some of this stuff. But in the middle of the back side of the outline, of my, what I call the digging deeper, I have three columns. I have the brother who is weaker in faith or the sister who is weaker in faith. Then Paul says in Romans 15, 1, that some of you are stronger in faith. 
Romans 15.1 uh, is to remind us now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength. So there are stronger people in faith. And then I created this uh, proud in faith. Some would call it the Pharisees, but the proud in faith. Notice the distinction between these. The weaker in faith is one who differs in opinions. He sees it differently. Uh, the weaker in faith may say, sleeveless shirt with tattoos, arms, and Dave Mitchell, got to go, wrong, could never do it, absolutely not. Stronger in faith, he accepts the differences in opinion. I get it, it's not my style, not my thing, but I get it. Okay, let's just get on with what God wants us to do. The proud in faith, he does not care about the differences of opinion. The weaker in faith, again, over the left, he lacks knowledge but is teachable. I didn't know that God says that about that or that God didn't say anything about that. I thought God was said a lot about that. In fact, in the Old Testament, you know, I'm picking on the tattoo thing. In the Old Testament, God talks about don't put tattoos on your Bible, on your Bible, on your, on your body. Well, the stronger in faith, he has knowledge and is teachable. Do you realize that when God speaks in the Old Testament about certain practices and customs, that he was addressing a specific cultic practice that had greater bearing and relevance to the society in which he wrote that, and that today, while that is not a specific practical application for us today, there are certainly principles we can draw from that, that we need to be careful that we don't involve ourselves in cultic, idolatrous worship practices of today, whatever they may be, and that tattoos is a manifestation of that cultic worship where it is not for today, because today tattoos are just simply art design on somebody's skin. I'm not suggesting we all go out and get tattoos and just sort of hung up on tattoos this morning. But then the proud in faith is this. He is unteachable and assumes to know all. Oh, I know about tattoos, he says. I know they're wrong and they're unbiblical and I judge you for that. The weaker in faith, he is surprised. That, oh, you have freedom in that area? I didn't know that. Stronger in faith, is, he's open to freedom. I, I get that. And then the proud in faith, he judges others that differ in freedom. Whereas the weaker in faith can feel guilty... The stronger faith recognizes false guilt. I know I'm a little uncomfortable with that because I didn't grow up with that. That was not my style. I didn't grow up in a family that drinks wine after dinner. And so therefore, if I'm in a setting where wine is being consumed after dinner, that's different for me. But I understand the freedom for those who do, as long as they don't have .08 because then they're drunk and then they're sinning. So so I I don't even know when that happens. How many glasses? But then the proud in faith, he makes others feel guilty. Oh, I'm going I'm to nail you to the wall because your opinion differs than my opinion. And I want you to feel guilty over that. That's the proud in faith. The weaker in faith, he can be stumbled to sin, so therefore I need to be very cautious about what I do. The stronger faith will not be stumbled, but the proud in faith, he will stumble others to sin because he is so difficult and arrogant in judging others. Whereas the weaker in faith, he has stumbled... He is an offense given, and that's where I come with this. He is an offense given. I don't want to have an offense given to those who are weaker in faith. So therefore, I have made an executive decision that next Sunday I will not arrive with sleeveless shirt and tattoos all over my arms because I believe a weaker brother or sister in the faith would see that and they would be offended. I would be giving offense to them. So I decline to do something that I have freedom to do even though I really don't want to do it, but I have freedom to do it. Whereas the stronger faith, there's no offense. Different, not for me, good for you, 
Let's move on. But the proud in faith, here's the key. If he has stumbled, it's an offense taken. And that's why I put on the screen here. The offense, taking offense or giving offense. Proud, pharisaical people are always taking offense. They're looking for reasons to be offended. They look at someone, oh, I'm offended by that. You're wearing shorts, I'm offended by that. You're wearing flip-flops, I'm offended by that. You have a goatee, I'm offended by that. Oh, you don't dress as nicely as I think you should dress, I'm offended by that. They're going around being offended by all the things where people have freedom to come and honor the Lord with a heart that truly wants to worship Him. Proud in faith are people who are taking offense so as to control the behavior of people they want to judge. Whereas weaker people in faith, they're being offended simply out of their weakness that they didn't know. They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have that information. And so those are distinguishing marks between the kinds of people that Paul is dealing with here. And he's encouraging us to be the kind of people that honors the Lord by making sure that when I'm offended, I'm not the proud in faith who's taking offense over areas that God says, they got all kinds of freedom in doing that. You don't need to be hung up on that and make everybody else feel guilty. And then as we move on, we need to serve Christ. And by moving beyond the opinion areas, I serve Christ by following kingdom priorities. What has God called us to do? God has not called me to do the opinion stuff. Those things are just simply actions and activities of life that we all go through and we all choose to do whatever we want to do. So what does He call me to do? He calls me to walk in love. That means I must sacrifice at times. Romans 14, 15 says, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. I need to walk according to love. And so therefore, if food is offending the weaker brother, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stop doing it. I'm going to cease from doing it. I'm just going to avoid doing anything close to that. I don't want to do any behavior or have any attitude that causes the brother who might be weaker to somehow be stumbled and to walk in love means don't do certain things that I'm free to do, that I'm even like to do, that I find enjoyable to do. But he says, just don't if you think that's going to be offensive. It could be a marriage. It could be in a friendship. And then secondly, to be in spirit empowered. That's what he says in righteousness, peace, joy, building up others. Not temporary desires. These are the things that count the most. As he says in Romans 14, 16, and 17, Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not the incidentals. It's not the opinions. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do those things. Here's the, here's the caution. Um... We were with a friend recently, and she was telling us about a church that's up in the L.A. area. And this is where I, I battle even in my own mind. And I want you to think about this. And the pastor got up, and he read the Democrats' uh, platform of what Democrats believe in. And he rattled off, I don't know, half a dozen or so things. And he said, anybody that believes with these things cannot be a Christian. Whoa, that's that's bold, huh? Okay, 
because he says, I think you need to vote Republican. Because at least they're closer to what Bible says we should be and do. Well, I hear stuff like that. And I get some people that push on me about that. That I should be more like that. I will not get up here and say the Democrats versus the Republicans. One platform versus another platform. Why? Because they're not kingdom priorities. Whatever man designs and creates and writes down in some platform, frankly, I don't think either side really lives up to them very well anyways, but, but whatever they write down and think they, they proclaim, I say, I don't want to do anything that, as Paul says here in Romans 14, 16, he says, Therefore do not let what is a, for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. I don't want to get up here and sort of roam into politics and create this hardship that I said to our friend, I said, you know, what, what would happen if there was a brand new person that was in service that, that Sunday and they're a Democrat and they're untaught, they don't know anything. All they know is that they heard somebody get up there, the preacher, this ordained minister get up there and, and rag on the, the Democrats for what they believe in. And that person will never come back to that church again because I was offended by that. And it could be the other way. The Republicans, same thing. Not picking on one side or the other. I don't want that kind of a person to come and hear and be turned away so that a good thing be spoken of as evil reach that conclusion. Where the church is evil because it has this biased, prejudicial point of view on issues that I can't go to Scripture and clearly lay it out in terms of taxes and immigration and um, international affairs. Of the, of the, can't go down that road. And so be careful, you and I, who want to be those who are pursuing righteousness and peace and joy. Pursue those things and don't package them in a, in a realm that is filled with all kinds of hot issues that divides people and drives people away. We want to be people of righteousness and peace and joy. Those are the priorities. And here's one other thing that strikes me about this section in God's Word. I threw out a phrase a a number of weeks ago that you and I, we need to be people who engage with others, but we do not endorse their behavior. It was really in the context of homosexual marriages and stuff like that. I want to engage with anybody, anywhere who needs Jesus Christ because all of their behaviors outside of Jesus Christ, all their behaviors are wrong. So I'm not going to endorse their behavior. I don't want to endorse their behavior. And here's the caution. Too often, we run into people who need Jesus And I'm going to avoid them because I don't want to look like I'm endorsing their behavior. If they're homosexuals, or maybe they're getting married, maybe they just got married. Maybe I'm invited to their wedding. Whoa, you know, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm going to get a tattoo instead. (laughs) Well, I, I don't want to do that. No. I want to engage with people, even if I don't endorse them. Why? Here, here's what I need to be careful about. Here it comes back to this verse on the screen. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How does anyone get righteousness? How does anyone get God's peace? How does anyone get the joy of the Holy Spirit? They come to Jesus first. 
for me to leapfrog over who Christ is and what He does for people and then impose upon people who do not have Jesus my standard of morality, of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, not going to go there. Because I can't make someone become righteous, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit by me somehow forcing them, stop that behavior, don't do it that way, you shouldn't be married, we have rules against that in the Bible, you shouldn't be having sex that way. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to condemn your behavior, even though I love you, but I'm going to condemn that behavior, because you shouldn't be doing that behavior. It's not consistent with righteousness of God. Had they never come to Jesus, I engage with people to bring them to Jesus. So Jesus can give to them His righteousness, His peace, His joy in the Holy Spirit. Make sense? I hope it does. Because I feel like as the evangelical church, we're running around telling everybody how to live a righteous life, and they've never met Jesus yet. Jesus says, I came to take your sin on me so I can put on you my righteousness. Let Jesus put on the righteousness. And then we walk with them so they can grow in that understanding of what Jesus does to transform a life. Do we believe in the miracle of the resurrection or not? Let's just stop forcing people to be righteous who haven't been given the power and the change to be righteous. So that's where engage, engage, engage. But just don't endorse. Don't say, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. But I still love you, man. I want to, let's just hang out. Let's go out and let's go get a, uh, let's just go have fun. So, I hope that makes sense. Because I really believe that it, it's where we need to be careful for us today. So in conclusion, this is where Paul says in verse 19, So then, so then, as it brings us to conclusion of things we need to think about, in verse 19, So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That is what counts. For brother to brother, sister to sister, in the faith of Christ, these are the things that we need to evaluate. I put it on the, on the outline so you can, if you really care about this, you, I want to be honorable to the Lord. I want to walk faithfully with Him. I want to be the brother or sister to others around me that really builds them up really cause them to grow in their faith. And if they're not believers, that cause them to be engaged so that they can become a believer in Jesus Christ. My priorities. Are you pursuing peace and building up people? Is that my priority? That I'm, I'm going to live my life so I pursue these things that builds people up. In relationships, in verses 20 and 21, you can read the text. Is your freedom offending another person? I, I need to be careful. Is it doing that? I need to be aware of that. And then my convictions. Are you sure you are right before God in your faith? Are you sure that the conclusion that you have reached in an area of an opinion or an incidental area is truly from God? Or, or maybe it's just your culture, your background, the way you grew up. Because I have to be aware of that. When I talk about alcohol, I grew up in a family, Joy did too, where we had no alcohol in our family. That was just never part of our lives. So when I'm around that, I, I have to be careful that I'm not somehow casting aspersions or judging people based upon how they participate in alcoholic beverages. Again, .08, you're drunk, you're sinning. But short of that, so I, I find that my think of alcohol is that, uh, that it's uh, uh, high risk, low reward. High risk of a lot of bad things can happen 
low reward because it just doesn't even taste that good. But I do remember when we were in Russia. Did I tell you this? When we were in Russia a number of years ago, and I spoke in the church, and then they have communion. One of the things they do in Russia, in Moscow, how they do communion is that they have one goblet of wine. And they pass it row after row after row. And then it goes goes past, and I was was sitting there on the platform watching that goblet go back and forth and back and forth. And the pastor of the church says, since you brought the message, you drink from it last. (laughs) And so it was wine. It's real thick wine, real thick. Lots of pulp or something, I don't know. And I'm sitting there watching that wine make its way to me, and I think, oh, Lord, please, please, let it run out before it gets here. But it came to me, and there it was. And it was. They keep refilling it. And I'm thinking of all the spittle on the edge of that thing. And so I, I, I recognize that, you know, I don't know, if I didn't drink from that, I would offend everybody. And they would think, well, he's being righteous because he, has, uh, he's ab- he abstains. Now, the, the, the motive would be, I don't want to get your germs. I mean, and so we have these attitudes, and we need to evaluate. Make sure, I don't know why I told you that. But uh, then there is the source. I'm going to pick up on this next Sunday. In Romans 15, 4, your source of truth is it clearly from the knowledge of God's Word. And we will pick up on this as we continue in 15. But let me read it. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. That's why we keep going back to the book. Because the book is the source through which we have perseverance and encouragement and hope. Let God lead us. And I give you some more questions on the back side. Let God lead you in this. But the most important thing is this. Keep kingdom priorities your major thing. Let that foundational issue be the driving force in our lives. So as we go out, we engage with people to bring them to Jesus and then to live with Jesus. And that's the most important thing for us, no matter all the incidentals. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you're a God who works in our lives in ways that is sometimes mysterious and difficult. I pray, God, that we would be found faithful to the things you've called us to do and to say. And God, we would not be hung up on the opinions and the incidentals of life. But Father, we would have a passion for the foundational biblical commands that you have clearly spelled out that we have your kingdom priorities of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God, that those would be the concerns as we build up one another around us, that we help people find that place with Jesus Christ. Father, we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.